Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You're listening to The Economist Asks. I'm Anne McElvoy. And this week, we're asking two-time Oscar winner Hilary Swank if she thinks new diversity requirements for the Academy Awards are a good idea. Why are they all white? Why are 95% of them male? You know, it really is astonishing. The governors of the Oscars have recently said that only diverse films will be considered for best picture. They laid out sweeping and complicated eligibility criteria intended to encourage diversity on screen and off of gender, sexual orientation, race, ethnicity and disability. But will it work? You're telling a Chinese story, and it's from the 1930s. I don't think you can tell that story in a way that is inclusive to their new rules. You have to also include four other things that might not have been of that place, if that makes sense. In her three decades career, Hilary Swank has made up her own rules by playing non-stereotypical characters. In 1999, she won an Oscar for playing a transgendered youth in Boys Don't Cry. Five years later, another one came her way for playing a female boxer in Million Dollar Baby. Now on the Netflix show Away, she plays an astronaut. Everything's going to be okay, right? A spacewalk? Nothing bad's going to happen to you. I got this. Everything's going to be okay. It's time for decompression, Commander. Copy. What's her next frontier? Hilary Swank, welcome to The Economist Asks. Thank you. Oh, my bird said hi. It's probably the first time I think we've been upstaged by a parrot when we introduce our guest. Tell us a bit about the parrot. Well, the one that's saying hi, hi, um, likes to chime in when I'm doing interviews. He doesn't seem to talk so much until all of a sudden I'm doing interviews. I think he really likes the attention. He's hilarious. We love him. Right. Well, I think we're going to be hearing, I'm sorry, I missed the name. It's Bert. It's Bert. I think we might be hearing from Bert in the course of the interview. (laughs) Listeners, it's a parrot first on The Economist Asks (laughs) with Hilary Swank in a co-starring role. So, Hilary, your new Netflix series, Away, uh, which I've enjoyed watching, you played an astronaut who commands the first mission to Mars. Is this a result of a a long fascination with space and the idea of getting into a a tin can and breaking the surly bonds of of Earth? Because that head of a mission is a, a woman with the men backing her up. We've often seen it the other way around, haven't we? Yes, we certainly have. Well, I wanted to be an astronaut before I wanted to be an actor. It was something that just really intrigued me, something, the idea of going somewhere, the unknown, and I think something bigger than all of us. And yet here I am now being an actor, playing one, because I'm not smart enough (laughs) to be an astronaut. I think most of us are doing our jobs for that reason. (laughs) 
But I got to meet so many incredible astronauts. One of them, Peggy Witzel, who actually was a female commander on more missions into space than any other astronaut as a commander and as an astronaut. She happened to be from my mom's hometown of Kellerton, Iowa, which is now pretty much a ghost town. But every time I would drive to my mom's farm, it would say home of Peggy Whitson. And I just thought, oh my gosh, it's so funny how things take full circle. And I know you've deliberately avoided playing stereotypical characters in your career. Do you think this astronaut is a good example of that? I loved that this was a commander of this incredibly important mission who, like, I think if it had been filmed even five years ago, she would have been, oh, I'm so sorry. Is it dinner time? morning here. What it is, is that I have some construction outside and this parrot is actually also a watchbird, believe it or not. He lets us know when there's coyotes outside. We had a mountain lion outside. And right now he's just telling me that there's somebody out there with a big shovel and I should know about it. <laughs> I like the idea of the watch parrot. I think the parrot's just going to have to be part of this production. And there is a hundred percent. Hopefully he won't keep screaming like that. Okay. So I think had it been filmed five years ago, I think she would have been written, you know, kind of stony. And like, I think that was just the way like people perceived women in that position. And the fact of the matter is, is she's, I think, a, such a great leader because yes, she is strong. Yes, she perseveres. Yes, she's smart and knows her job. But she also leads with sympathy, empathy, vulnerability. And in, in a way, the commander is joined in space by an international crew of astronauts. So we have your colleagues from Britain, of course, one from China, one from Russia, one from India. And we, we hear that in that kind of press conference scene. And I wondered whether that was really driven by a desire to make the show appeal across those huge target markets, because that would be one quite neat way of doing it, wouldn't it? It certainly would, but I think what's exciting about the show, instead of forcing an LGBTQ storyline, forcing all the different ethnic backgrounds, is that that's the reality of astronauts. Everyone's on a journey to try and get to the moon first and at one, you know, and now to Mars first. And it's a global kind of race. And instead of forcing anything. It's just very natural that all these astronauts from all these different countries would come together in this mission. So it's lovely. It's so nice to be a part of a show, I think, that represents the color of life that you see when you walk out your door, rather than the very myopic kind of straight white guy point of view that is usually the lens that so many stories are told, at least in the past. Well, it's interesting that you, you say and you finish there saying at least in the past, because obviously there's a lot of challenge to that at the moment. And one area where that's really bubbled up quite contentiously, I think, is the Oscars. And this is the idea that the Academy will set standards it hopes to boost representation and inclusion in front and behind the camera. I mean, we could sort of pick through them in a moment, but broadly speaking, do you welcome that way of doing things? Or does it begin to smack of kind of forcing was an interesting word that, that you chose just a moment ago, of perhaps trying to force things into set patterns and set boxes? The Academy Awards have been 
you're seeing the world in front of you in stories from one point of view, as I just said. So I do think it's important that um, studios, more importantly, are telling stories that represent the world and the globe in which, because let's just face it, studios, first and foremost, are businesses. And if they're wanting to make money, Globally, everyone's going to the movies and everyone's streaming. It's not just the United States. So to represent all different walks of life, I would think for them fundamentally from a business standpoint would be first and foremost. But if you want to get into the artistry of it, which I think is what the Academy represents, we have to, it's right now the Academy only votes on things that are out and that are in front of us. I do think in at some point you have to say, you know, there has to be a certain percentage or else people might not, people might just fall back into old times and not be making stories that represent the colorful world we do live in. Well, I do think it's challenging though. Sorry, I know it's not a succinct answer, but I do think it's challenging to say in a movie, there needs to be this, 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 and this, and this, and this in order for it to be nominated. When you say challenging, do you mean you don't agree with it? I just think it's challenging in that how, what if you're telling a story about all Chinese people? You're telling a Chinese story and it's from the 1930s. How do you include some of those other things that they're asking you to include? That's a challenge. I don't think you can tell that story in a way that um, is inclusive to their new rules. You have to also include four other things that might not have been of that time and of that place, if that makes sense. So it's the anachronisms that would worry you if you had to see every historical setting through this prism. That is actually quite a a challenge, isn't it, to the criteria? Because the criteria says only films that have met at least two of the standards will qualify. One standard is a film must have a lead character of a, or a significant supporting character from an underrepresented racial or ethnic group. That's very specific, isn't it? Yeah, it's very specific. And I think for the most part, it's a great um, way to bring about inclusivity. But again, I think it's really case by case. And I think it would be quite challenging in some circumstances to do that. And then that, that particular film wouldn't be able to be included in the Academy Awards, I, I suppose, right? Yes, and I suppose to that extent, if the industry is supposed to take its playbook, the Oscars matter, we know this, uh, you're a twice winner, they matter a lot. And the Academy Awards are kind of setting a pattern which a lot of filmmakers wouldn't want to stray outside. So I suppose that might be my challenge as to how you get the best of what they clearly want to achieve, but that you don't in the end, just basically say, here's how you make a film. You know, here's painting by numbers. Why don't you get going? Right, right. I think any time perhaps a filmmaker feels like their hands are tied in telling the story they need to tell because there's, like you said, uh, paint by number elements. I do think that change has to start somewhere. And if people aren't going to be doing it, I think we do have to set some type of, I don't know, rules like that are being enforced. And I don't know what, I'm not a member who makes up the rules. So, you know, I haven't sat down and listened to everything that they've had to say and how they came up with it. Yes, sure. Sure, sure. I mean, it's just interesting to talk to someone who's fought their way through to the point of being a Mm. twice Academy Award winner, whether you would feel, you know, would you say if somebody said, well, I'm really sorry, but that movie 
that didn't quite work out for our criteria, whether you or you would feel people that should then take that on the chin and say, this is what we need for progress. I think in the end, the good outweighs the negative. I mean, the movies that I happen to be in, thankfully represent the community in which they're talking about. So I would have been lucky, um, I guess, or I just was working with filmmakers and people who were, you know, thoughtful of that. There are certainly, you know, a lot of times when you look at a film, many films, especially films that have been nominated, where you say, why are they all white? Why are 95% of them male? It really is astonishing. And if you look really at the way the Academy works, it's usually, it used to be, I think it's been well over 10 years that this hasn't been the case, but usually the film that was best film, the best lead actor and best lead actress would come from that film. Most of the time now in the last certainly 10 years, those films don't have, let's say the 10 that are supposed to be nominated because it's 10 now and it's not five anymore. There's only about two female leads in those, those productions. That's astonishing. So if you just talk about it from that point of view, that's wrong. It's flat out wrong. And it's clearly if it's male dominated and it's white male dominated, they're telling the stories that represent them. So, well, I mean, I would naturally tend to agree with you about that as a sort of broad direction that if there's a certain kind of story that gets told and the superhero looks a certain kind of way or that the rom-com has particular roles for uh, men and others for women, I, you know, I could absolutely see the frustration. But when you sort of cut down into the way that films are put together and you look at the preponderance of casting directors, a very large majority are women. So what, where do you think, and you know the, the industry from the inside and I don't, where do you think this, there is this sort of disjuncture where you have a lot of casting directors, over 80% are women, you've got a lot of hair and makeup department heads who are women, you've got a lot of that kind of penumbra are female, and yet what you describe is still the case. So what has gone wrong? Well, it's because the writers of a lot of the scripts in the 29 years that I've been doing it are written by, like I said, straight white males. And so they're the ones in the end that are writing the stories that the cast, the female casting directors of the majority are casting. So if it's written that it's a male, 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 that's what they're going to go cast. They're not going to say, hey, you should gender switch this. That's not their job. What would be most important to you? Is it the preponderance of female directors? Is it more, you, you've pointed to the writing quite a lot. I, I'm interested in, in that because that's not always where the power balance is seen to lie. But if you found frustrations, where have you experienced them in your own career? Um, in my own career, it would 100% be, I think, the lack. I mean, look, I, I'm so grateful. I've had, I think I've in my in the last 20 years i've played some of the strongest women that have persevered through all types of adversity and been incredible role models people that i admire and who have enriched my life i would say that i've just been lucky and in getting those opportunities with the choices i made early on i don't think that those are the majority of the roles for women and that's a frustration um, a script that I'll be given and it, the woman's not fleshed out. And because I come on usually as a producer, I'll ask to flesh that character out more. And um, that's where my frustration lies, but I'm a white female. So for a long time, I've also 
had more opportunities than my black or brown or, you know, counterparts. So again, it's like, let's just represent the world as it is. And I'm so excited to see this change. I'm so excited to see these people be represented in a way that makes people see, feel seen. As essentially, that's what storytelling is. We want to see ourselves in the people we're watching. It's interesting for someone of my generation, we saw you as something of an outrider of, of playing a non-stereotypical part, whether it was in Boys Don't Cry or Million Dollar Baby. And that seemed to be a bit of a breakthrough moment. What then happened? I mean, did it all move slowly forward and now it's moving faster? Or did we sort of hit some kind of a roadblock in which a bit of diversity, a bit of risk, a bit of edginess was seen as enough by Hollywood? No, I don't see that at all. I think we've, we continue to grow and and allow these roles to be more the norm than not. Um, so I, I don't I don't see it that way personally. And also your own career since then, did those roles lead you to what you wanted to, to do next? Oh yeah, 100%. Um, I feel like each of those roles afforded me the opportunity for people to see me through the lens of strong women. So I think those are the roles that I get offered and those are the roles that I love. Um, they're women who, I, like I was saying earlier, and not quite this way, have blown open the, the blinders of how I see the world and how I live in it and make me a better person. So I have been, but, you know, again, that's, that's from my own point of view. And apart from the role you, you obviously played in a way for Netflix, regardless of whether there is a treatment around about it, is there a woman or a kind of woman that you would like to inhabit on screen? Is there a, a dream script that turns up on a character that you've always had a, a secret hankering to inhabit? Um, well, I would like to play like like a Bourne role, like Jason Bourne, but as a female or, you know, James Bond as a female, something that it has a lot of action. I like action. I like being physical. So that would be really fun. So the application is in for James Bond. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, is it going to be Jane Bond? Which sounds, well, I suppose it is so frightfully British, isn't it? But she does sound a bit like a geography teacher. But anyway, <laughs> I think she's going to need a new name. Mm -hmm. But would that be the one that you would really go for if, if the hand were outstretched? I think so. I think that would be really fun to... You're going to have to do a lot of sex scenes. You know that, don't you? Oh, well... Goes goes with the territory in Bond. Uh, just on COVID, because I, I know that the COVID year has been particularly challenging and you also work in production and you must uh, must have your own projects. Is it anything that you're finding so much more difficult to do in terms of what you are able to move on to during the pandemic? Well, I was thankful that, you know, I was in this position where we finished right as COVID. Um, we were, it was the end of February when I finished my press and all the, like the one sheet and everything. Um, so I, I kind of, after working for eight months like that, I take some time off. So it was kind of well timed for me. If, if we had to all stop working, that was well timed. COVID is obviously not well timed for anyone. And it is a horrific situation happening in our world that makes me so hopeless feeling. And I'm not a hopeless person. And it does, it feels very grim right now, doesn't it? On, on both sides of the Atlantic, we should say that obviously there's a lot more, more at, at stake than what's going on in the entertainment business. But I'm very much aware, just 
preparing for this interview and others, that we're the beneficiaries of work that was made before COVID and before the lockdowns were necessary. And that people are really struggling to get productions up and running and keep them up and, and running. The, the British film industry, I don't know if you know this, Hillary, but has... has uh, issued a, a whole screed of advice about how to do intimate scenes um, in the time un until there is such a blessed thing as a, a vaccine and to limit the amount of, of time that's closely interacted. And I guess that's also true in Hollywood. Yeah, I think what's happening, I think there's they're getting COVID tested. I don't know how often. I don't know if it's every other day or you know, every other two days, but everyone, the crew and the cast, everyone's getting tested at all times to ensure that no one has it and is gonna infect everybody. So they're pretty stringent, I think, with their rules. Hilary Swank, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. And we'd love to know what you think. Last time we asked, you had lots of good ideas for who you'd like to see as an alternative James Bond. Would Hilary Swank do it for you or have you got another nomination? And do you think the Oscars' new rules are too stringent, not stringent enough, or go too far? Write to us at radio at economist.com or you can tweet us at Economist Radio. And for our best introductory offer, do go to economist.com slash podcast offer. The link is in the show notes. I'm Anne McKellar. And in London, this is The Economist. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute.